strategy, design, marketing, UX, digital, development. This is Agencies That Build. This show is dedicated to leaders and teams that design and deploy in the digital world. My name is Jesse, and I'm a marketer and an agency owner. And I'm Varun. I'm not a marketer, but a coder and an agency partner. This show is sponsored by Together We Ship. On a mission to help agencies grow. All right, rock on. We're here. Hi, Varun. How's it going, my friend? Hi, Jesse. How are you? I'm good. I'm happy that it's finally sunny out. I, you know, I know, right? Yeah. It's, I feel like we always talk about the weather right at the beginning of this. That's kind of like our shtick. What's the weather like? I, it's good, you know. It's, it's a killer conversation to break the ice. Right? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no ice, <laughs> which is even better. All right. right. So I want to, I have the pleasure of introducing today's guest who uh, I'm going to read this pretty epic introduction. So is an executive with extensive experience in building and leading high-performing teams in professional services, customer success, and technology delivery. He's an entrepreneur. He's worked with a full range of companies from startups to large enterprises, including NBC Sports, Staples, and Pfizer. Um, I also have worked with Bill myself, which is why we're chatting with him, formerly of Vistaprint, you know, uh, many year, double digits ago. I won't say the year, but you could probably look it up on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> um, principal at Advanced Velocity, Bill Whitebone. Welcome to the show, my friend. We're happy to have you. Thanks for having me. Definitely good to see you too. Yeah. So we like to start out with a myth busting question. So I'm just going to ask it up front. What myth would you like to smash? What kind of bogus strategy, misconception? What do you want to clear up going on in your world? What's, what's cooking over there? So many, so many. Um, <laughs> I, I, if I think about something that I've found over the years with, with clients and, and really how you solution for clients, the way that I, I guess to sum it up, solutions are easy. They're, they're not easy, right? And I'm not sure everybody th thinks they're easy, but the way that I look at it is that we work with clients. We need to solve issues, challenges for clients. Um, and, and the way that you identify those is actually by asking the question of what what's difficult what do you what do you need help with what's what's keeping you your business from functioning optimally and a lot of times those are very specific things right and, and certainly you could take an approach of addressing those specific things and and i think there are companies and consultants out there who do specifically that but generally there's a broader challenge right and, and i think that's that's an important way to enter into an engagement, uh, a new relationship with the client is really understanding the, the broader challenge. Uh, so it, I often work with companies that are having problems with customer success or with professional services. And professional services is probably the one where I see this the most, but they'll say, we are managing our business with too many tools. We have a bunch of spreadsheets. Um, what we need to do is just integrate all these things. And you know, there must be a way that we can take what we're already using. And, and fix that. And yeah, there probably is, but, but stepping back and saying, what are the challenges and what's the optimal solution to this is, is a much better way. Right. So, and I, and I see that both in technology builds, I see it in the pure consulting work that I do. Um, but I think it's important for, for folks to think about the, what's, what's the real issue and how can I really help in the longer term versus just addressing current issues. Do you find that people come to you with you know, outside of the solution, do they come to you with like, here's the problem we're trying to solve or here's the solution I want, can you build it? You know, or do you get both? I get both. Uh, more often when I, have, when I have clients approach me, they 
are having a specific problem, right? So uh, often they'll see that you know, I specialize in customer success and professional services, and they're having a particular problem in those areas, right? So, and, and one that I often see and prompts outreach is that they have resources that have left, right? So uh, we had the, the wrong person in the role and that that's what's wrong, right? Well, then I, I walk in and they didn't leave because they were the wrong person. They left because the structure of the, of the organization may not have been the best, right? So there, there's many instances like that. But then there are clients too that say, hey, I've done a little bit of research and I, I, could you just implement this for me? And sometimes there's a better solution than that too. You know, sometimes that's right, but uh, certainly there's better solutions potentially in many of those cases. I think that's a common situation in a lot of agencies where people come because they're looking to solve the problem that they, they, they think they figured out what the solution is and they're like, oh yeah, this is what I need. Can you just build it? And, you dig right. in and you're like, oh, uh, uh. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen that from a technology build perspective, and I've seen it from a just organizational perspective. You know, the, the challenge challenges are definitely more more complicated. I mean, not necessarily much larger, but more complicated than what you might see on the surface. Sometimes you don't know, or the clients don't know, if they really need a solution from you. They, as you mentioned, like you, they already know what the solution is and they just come ask for help. But then until you talk to them, they don't realize that the solution that they were thinking in their head is not the solution in fact. Right? Right. Sometimes you need to guide them through. So that is what we see most of the time in the agency world where you need to wear the consultant hat and you need to guide the direction of the conversation in a way where you go to the root of the problem before jumping on the outcome, you know? Yeah. Why they are here in the first place. Where did you come from? Where, like, it's not always a resource problem. Yes, resource problem happened because of certain things and then that is causing certain problem which requires a certain solution. They quickly jump to the solution, I want this. Right. But then how can you come to that solution is where I think agency owners can really help. So in your case, um, I know you, know you have 35, 40 people in the company. Yep. How have you um, navigated such discussions with the clients? Is it you who always does that? Do you have team who does that? And how do you train them? How do you... If you have a team who does that, then how you train them? If it's you, then what's the thought? What's the you know tactic that you you know use to make sure that they don't feel that you are um, you know putting words in their mouth and you are not you are working as a partner and as a collaborator versus some somebody who just would take orders from them, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and usually it's a team approach. So when it comes to a technical solution, it's it's usually me, uh, business analyst, and also an architect. And, and if I think about how we, we really start to dig deeper and understand without, you know, without someone feeling like we're, we're not listening to them, is really try to understand their business, right? That's, that's a really important part of being a consultant. And I think a lot of people who move through their career and maybe come, in, come into consulting later don't realize how important it is to really become somewhat of an expert on their business, right? So you're not coming in as an outside advisor saying, well, 
I don't really know your business, but in general, in general, this is the solution works, right? So wanting to understand the business, wanting to understand their challenge and everything's different, right? So you could walk into an engagement with one company that, you know, they say I'm having problems with, with content and managing content. Uh, and you could go into another company that has identifies the same problem, but the root issue could be completely different, right? So one may not have a CMS solution. One may have a CMS solution that actually has terrible content in it. The, the, the whole content methodology is wrong. Um, so it's really being able to ident identify with their business, identify with their needs and, and walk through how they use the application, right? So how do you use it? How do, your, how do your customers use it? Uh, and just really understand the, the use cases and, and the business space. Uh, and it takes a little more time, but, but I think the value is huge. And you mentioned that you, when you go into the conversation, you position yourself as an expert. Now, when you, when you are an expert, you cannot, as an agency owner, you cannot be an expert on everything. Or maybe you are. Some agency owners position them themselves like, like that, that we, would, we are an expert to solve technical problems without any uh, for, for without being technology or industry specific, they can be just pretty much so, solve any problem in any industry. How yeah. do you approach it? What's your thought around that? Like, do you want to focus only in one industry or you think, you know, you have the knack of solving problems in any, pretty much any industry? So it's funny. It, it's funny you asked that because it's something I've been thinking about recently too. And so um, three years into this with my own company, and you think about the evolution of a company or an agency. And when you first start out, you wanna leave as many opportunities out there as there possibly can be, right? So I have, a, I have a very diverse background. I have specialties in customer success, professional services. I've done all kinds of technical builds for enterprise level companies, for small companies, right? So there's, there's a lot of things that I can do. Mm -hmm. um, and not personally necessarily, but I have, I have resources and I have a team that, that can do, yeah. do these things. But as you evolve as a company, you need to focus more, right? And, that, and that's something that I think a lot of companies fall into a trap. That, and and the, where, where you see it the most, it's, it's funny. It, you can go out there and you can sell whatever solution, but try and market yourself that way. You can't, right? So once, once you get to a point where you really need to market, your agency and your company, if you're too diverse, people just look at it and they say, I, I, they're not specialties. They're not, they're not specialists in anything. I, I, if I look at their website, if I look at the use cases they have out there, they're, they're not something that actually, nothing appeals to me entirely. Uh, and, and so that, that's been a, a really interesting evolution for me. Of course, I've worked for lots of companies that were very specialized, but as, as a new business owner and, and starting out, I wanted to have the opportunity to take in all, all kinds of business, right? I wanted to leave the door open and we've successfully delivered, very successfully delivered everything that we've taken on. But now I realize as I want to really grow the business more quickly, I need to focus and I need to put a message out there that's very clear about what we specialize in. Well, so that, br that brings me to the other point because um, the point of specialization versus generalization that we ask many agencies as well. Um, and you are at a point with 35, 40 people is when this question is most important because now you can stay specialized at this scale, at this level, but you cannot, I mean, maybe some are, but it's hard for somebody to specialize with when you grow beyond this, like, like we are at 400 people now. 
we yeah. can never be specialized, right. right? So we don't call ourselves specialized. We are generalists and we have a different model. But as you plan to grow your business, like, I don't know your, your, what your goals are. If you want to go to 100 people, would you stay specialized? Or would you go against what you are saying now that no, you know, we have to diversify. We want to keep our doors open and we need to. So what's your strategy and how you, how do you think about it? You know? Yeah. And I think there's two things. Companies go through phases, right? So there's different phases of growth where you need, you may need a, fo- a more of a focus. You may not, you may need less of a focus. And then it's also what is, what is your space, right? Like, so your company offering as many, uh, technology solutions or as much technology expertise as possible makes a world of sense, right? Uh, whereas if I think about my company, I have two, two key areas that I work in, right? So I do pure consulting and I also do builds, uh, technology builds, right? And very capable of doing both, but what what is the, do I have to look at messaging that's clear that makes one a priority a more of a priority? Right. And if I think about my business and the thing that is most interesting to me, uh, we're, we're always going to have a technology build piece. Uh, and a lot of the technology build we do now supports the work that we're doing from a pure consulting perspective. But if I think about where the opportunity, the key opportunity is to differentiate and to really use my skills and some of the other folks skills on the team, it really is from that, that consulting perspective. And it, it could be consulting on customer success, professional services. It could be just technology and engineering. Right. So, but I think my thinking now is that as we evolve for now, we look to really focus more on that consulting piece with supporting technology implementation capabilities. You guys, have, it's an interesting conversation. I mean, coming from the world of marketing, living in the world of marketing, it's the number one thing that people fail at is they don't, yeah. You know, I can market anything to anybody, but if I don't know who I'm talking to, what's the point? Yeah. So right. it goes back to, you know, target audience, ideal customer, um, you know, differentiation, all the things that you guys are talking about there. But it's, you know, there are things that you don't do that you will never do. There's things that, you know, Varun, that your larger organization will never do you know you've been clear about where the line is you know and build you know you guys have picked a really interesting niche with customer success and builds around that specifically i think you might be the it's a it's a there's a clear niche there and people have approached me for various topics i don't do anything in a particular industry i don't have experience there there's certain you know it's it's an interesting it's that's i think one of the biggest people mistakes people make when hopping into running an agency and saying yeah we can support whomever whenever it's like, okay, yeah. but how well can you do that? Right. And then you like doing it? Is that, you know, and so it's, it's, a, it's a, the yes answer to that. It's like, okay, am I doing this because I want to see if I like it? Or am I doing this because it's a money grab? Or is it, it's an interesting, it's, I think it's a really big challenge that we actually haven't talked a lot about on the podcast yet um, that, that people approach, you know, from a, from a growth perspective with you guys in terms of where you're headed and, you know, staffing on all of that, talk to us a little bit about how you've been able to, you know, grow to those 40 people and staying close to your goals. And, you know, we've, we've, we've talked a little bit in our prep conversation around your usage of outsourcing, I'll just say yeah. it, and the kind yeah. of the benefits that you've had there. Um, would love to hear some of your thoughts and your successes with some of that. And then I'm going to ask you a question about challenges just to, to prep you. <laughs> okay, perfect. So, perfect. 
Yeah, I mean, and, uh, and that question is a, is a great question based on my ex- my experience, right? So my experience has been earlier career was my own team, right? So I started as a developer, moved into project management, moved into managing larger project management teams. Well, even uh, at Vistaprint, we were global. Uh, by the time I think, by the time you were there, uh, and I was, it was like the last year we overlapped. We were a global company. We worked globally. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I started to get the experience and this was a good step for pay. Part of my team can actually be in Switzerland. Part of it can be in, in India, part of it can be, and it it all worked well. Right. So could be anywhere. Uh, and from Vistaprint, I went to Acquia and Acquia was a really interesting experience for me because we only used third party for implementation. So I had engagement managers and I had architects that were my team, but the people that were actually delivering the solutions were all third party. Uh, so I learned a lot in that, in that period of time. And uh, I had some excellent wins and I had some terrible failures, right? So uh, the, probably the most challenging project I've ever done, uh, and I've done it multiple times, is the Olympics for NBC Sports. So that was a really interesting pretty, pretty one. opportunity there. <laughs> it, it, has, it has a very distinct deadline. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's that one. The first one, especially I, I was managing a third party based out of the Midwest who really were a, they were more of a, a lifestyle company. Uh, so I was working in the open source space. So Acquia is, is the Drupal company, right? So uh, you find a lot of companies that are lifestyle companies within the open source space. It's pretty interesting. So we were relying on this company to hit deadlines and get this, this implementation in place for us on 90 days before the Olympics started. It had to, there's no flexibility. It had to happen. And we were at DrupalCon. So the, the big Drupal conference for the year and, and they were all there. And I was like, guys, we're kind of running behind. How are you guys getting the work done right now? And they're like, well, we are at DrupalCon, so at DrupalCon, we don't work. We, we were taking a break. And I was like, but we're behind. And I had no idea that you didn't actually work during this time period. How are we going to meet our dates? Well, we'll figure that out after. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's right. That was one of the worst third-party experiences I had. And what, what choices did I have? Only choice I had was to find another agency, right? So here I am in the midst of this super high-pressure project, and I got to find a whole new team to do it. Uh, so there was a lot of learning that happened around selecting the right team um, after that. So, you know, I learned how to really understand what teams interests are, what their dedication to projects are, how they run their business. Uh, So that was really helpful for me. So we, I managed many, or I had implementation managers manage many projects with third parties and we got to know the best third parties. Uh, And, but I still got to a point where I was like, I still need a core team, right? I don't have a core team at all. And so I decided to go to one of our partners. Um, so one of Aquay's partners, I went to Blink Reaction, um, which at the time was a 35 person company that used uh, resources that were based out of Ukraine. Uh, so, and it went really well. I mean, that was having, having a team that was offshore, it, that was my team. Um, and then being able to leverage expertise, third party expertise when I needed it was huge. Um, so if I look at my current team structure, it's a mix, right? So it's, it's a mix of, of my core team uh, and then and outsourcing. Uh, so it really trying to get the best resources I can and, and apply them when necessary, right? I, I don't want to run an organization that has a lot of overhead. 
because I also think that differentiating from a price perspective is important, right? So it's, I don't want to be just another agency who does implementation and does it for the same price as anybody else. Um, I want to deliver very high quality at a, a differentiated price. So I have two questions. Now. I think that's very interesting uh, conversation because one, you mentioned uh, you learned a lot by working, you know, with with offshore companies and hiring and finding the best practices for how to pick the right offshore company or third-party provider. What, what are those best practices? What do you look for? How do you identify, yes, this seems like a good fit for me and for, for any other agency? Because I, right now, many agencies that we are talking to, they are also in the you know, process of thinking about offshore, nearshore, and just third-party vendors just to scale and grow. And finding the right team is hard. It's not easy. Like, you know, there are millions of companies out there sending out emails every single day. How do you know if this is the right fit for you? What, what do you look for? Yeah, a lot of it is the people, right? And understanding the people and their goals. Uh, and if I think of my primary partner right now, it's an Indian company. I've worked with them for 10 years. I actually started working with them when I was at Acquia. And the things that differentiate them are one, wanting to understand more, right? So it's, it's not a situation where I give them a list of requirements necessarily and they come back with, yeah, we've nailed your list, list of requirements. This is how much it costs. They actually ask questions, right? So, and they make suggestions. Uh, and that's, I think that's an important piece, right? Seeing a company that engages beyond just taking orders. So, so that's true, but I'm talking about pre-screening, right? When you don't know them, how they work, because they will do, everybody will give you all these promises that's yes, we do that. We will ask questions, we will do yeah. everything. But how do you know what, like, how do you know if they are like, unless you give them a try, right? And you cannot try with 10 other companies. And I mean, maybe there are companies who do multiple tries, but are there any, you know, quick- What do you look for? And yeah. a good partner before you even get to that level of conversation, I think is, is where the question is. Yeah. And it's hard. I mean, it's really hard it's at that early stage. Uh, the things that are most inter interesting to me is certainly looking at the customers they've worked with, right? And, and also, if you can actually get some references, reference... Let's be honest here. References are the best, the best possible implementations yeah. that have ever been done, right? So are they completely representative of what the company can do? Not necessarily, but if they yeah. can give you two or three folks who actually are willing to talk positive, speak positively about them, it says something. Yeah. Uh, then it's really talking to the leadership of the company and understanding where where are you headed, like what what what's your focus, where are you headed. Um, how do you see yourself as a partner? And, and that, that's really indicative that when, when someone explains what a partnership is to them and, and how a partnership looks, that, that's where I start to see some of, or get some insight, right? And, and depending on the size of the company, it's what level of engagement is there across the company, right? Am I talking to uh, a business development person purely, or is this, does the CEO want to talk to me? Does you know, does, does, does some of the executive team want to talk to me? So, and, and of course that speaks to sometimes just the size of the company, but, but I also, I, if I'm going to partner, I want to know that I'm talking to the people who run the business and, yeah. and that's, that's a really important piece for me. Good. That's, that's good advice. Um, in terms of engagement models, which model have you seen work best for you? You know, like fixed cost, staff org, or 
project paces? Like, how do you, you, you said you have been working with one company for 10 years. So I'm assuming they have set aside a core team exclusively working for you because you may be giving them multiple work or maybe yeah. it's on, on demand because from offshore companies perspective, they would want to partner with companies who can keep you know, giving them regular work, right? So they can yeah. keep their team busy. Um, so over time, I can understand that that becomes a core team. But when someone is starting out, what do you think would be a right way for them to, to start the That's engagement? And then, <laughs> you know, uh, what, yeah. what to look for, so. Yeah, so <laughs> I can speak to it from the perspective of how do I sleep at night when I just started my business, right? And, and certainly fixed price coming from the third party is what you, you, the only way you can sleep at night is if that's how you start out, right? So I need a fixed price and I need a company that I, that I can trust to some degree. And, and a key part of me starting my company was around the fact that I had a partner that I could trust, right? So if I had entered into this with no partners that uh, were proven, it would, would have been a lot harder but add to it the fact that they had consistently delivered well on fixed costs. So I knew I could give a price to, uh, to my client and it would get delivered at that price, you know, unless something significantly changed. Uh, so yeah. that, that was the only way that I could do it in the beginning and have any comfort. I mean, otherwise I couldn't have focused anywhere else. I would have spent my, all my time watching the burn and consistently watching you know, that particular first engagement. Um, but the only way I could focus on the rest of the business was to be able, was to, be able to trust that. Um, and, and certainly from, if you have a good team and, and you have confidence in what you're delivering, fixed price is the way to go, right? So it's, it's certainly riskier, but if, if you know what you're doing and, and you know how your team works, there's more margin to be had there potentially, right? So higher risk, higher reward. Uh, so it really depends on the particular engagement. If there's very clear requirements up front, if, and you, know, you can really get clarity from the client and what their expectations are, set their expectations reasonably, uh, then yeah, fix is the way to go. If, if you're going to learn along the way, then time materials is, is certainly a better way to go. And you know, it, generally in a project where I might have a client who says, I need to do this really fast and I need, need you to get started quickly than a time materials. Nobody, nobody will go without any reference point on price, right? You, you hear a lot of talk about agile and I talk to these people who say, oh, we just went in with an agile approach and we just told them what it was going to cost on a, a sprint by sprint basis. I, I've yet to actually find that, that customer. Um, so you know, maybe they're out there, but I think that's difficult. Uh, but yeah, I think TNM, if there's uncertainty and then staff aug, I find longer term engagements. I, I have some maintenance, uh, maintenance, maintenance engagements um, where staff aug makes sense, yeah. uh, you know, or specialty. This is a very highly specialized, um, more brief engagement. Staff aug can also make sense. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, a lot really depends on the type of project or the client. You know, if they are building a product which is not going to be built over months, right? If it's a month or two months project, maybe it's a fixed cost is a you know is the best way to to go from both perspective, like from client and from the deliveries perspective. They they're not going to give you a resource for two months. I mean, we know it's you know 25, 30 bucks an hour over there, and then you end up spending two resources, 10 grand. I mean, you can sell the project for 50 grand, and for them it's just 10 grand of money. That may not work, but uh, if it is a longer you know, long-term product development, then yes, yeah. I think staff all does make sense. 
Yeah. Can I yeah, ask and a I, question? Go there? ahead, Jessica. You know, when you're when you're exploring those options, are there key roles within, you know, an offshore team that you would identify, you know, when when working with a partner and choosing a partner, you know, going back to kind of it, it occurred to me as you guys were talking and listening to the different types of models. You know, there are key roles within an offshoring partner that you're looking for that, that are must-haves in that type of relationship. Yeah, and a part of it for me is skills, right? So I have multiple partners because multiple, the different partners have different skills that they bring to the table. So mm-hmm. if, I, if I look at my, the partner I was speaking about earlier, they're Drupal specialists, right? So they've done Drupal for many, many years and they, they also do some, some other technologies, but they don't do everything, right? They've decided to focus in certain areas. Uh, so for me, it's looking at what particular specialty do I need? You know, that's a key part of it. And then also the, the roles are important, right? And I think that le- having technology leadership roles within a company is important. I mean, I have my own architecture uh, resources, but you still need a technical architect and you, or at least a, a team lead who who can pull everything together with the offshore team. Because I'd say more of what I've done is kind of, an, or what I do is an onshore, offshore kind of approach, right? So it's not solely offshore. You know, I have technical expertise and I have project management expertise in the US, but I may still leverage that expertise from my partner to a different degree, right? So I found that that can be optimal is really to have a role, a role here, a role there and have the communication channels happening between them. Yeah. Yeah, we we have seen that working as well. But the other thing that not many people talk about is, and you you also mentioned that, you know, earlier in one of the comments that uh, at, I think, um, Wisterprint, you had core team and then they have an offshore team. Why is it like, so just want to ask, right? When you say core team, that's your full-time team that is working exclusively for you. Yeah. And when you talk about our sourcing or third-party team, they are like contractors, right? Even though those contractors work exclusively for you and your projects, they are still considered as, as contractor. Why are they not considered as core team? Other than the fact that they are not giving, they are not given the benefits other than salary. But if they are working with your team, they are your yeah. team. They are your core team. What's the difference? So I, I think in some engagements, I don't think I know in some engagements, they are part of the core team, right? Um, but I, if you look at, look at it from the perspective of working project to project, sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not, right? Uh, but in some instances, they are pretty much always there, right? I, I have situations where for a year uh, or more, the same resources are there. Uh, but I think it's, it's a mindset, right? It's an interesting question uh, because there's us, us and, and them, and that shouldn't necessarily be the, the view. And, and the way it feels when you have a good partner is they are part of the core team, right? Yeah. But as you talk about it, that may not be the way that you position it. Um, but, yeah. but if you have an optimal partner, it should feel like that. Yeah, that, that's what we have tried to do recently. You know, some of the customers that we work with, I mean, they tell us the same thing, right? This is our core team and you are our extended partners and, you know, even though they've been working together for years. Now yeah. what we started doing, well, you know, was if our client, well, when we asked, we approached them and told them, you know, this team is your team, right? Consider them as your team and enjoy working with them as, as well as, as you do with your internal team, right. celebrate and do everything that you do together. I mean, 
And anyways, everybody is remote. It's just a time difference. Otherwise, whatever you are doing here can be done over there. And then they can, you know, just collaborate and have, you know, festivity is going on. Do you think it's going to change mindset-wise as people are more remote? I mean, it's just, a, it's an interesting, as everybody's, you know, we're not in an office and it's become much more like, honestly socially acceptable to work from home work remotely work virtually whatever word you want to describe what all three of us you know do in some cases is it do you guys do you anticipate seeing that mindset change you know in terms of I, how you describe this i mean i've seen an evolution myself right so if, if i look at when i first started working with ukrainian resources many years ago versus what today looks like i think there's a lot more acceptance of of resources from other countries, right? And it used to be, oh, communication's really hard and uh, the time zones are different. And uh, I don't know that their culture's different, uh, but, but I think that people are realizing that it works much better than they, th they thought it would, right? So, and I, and I think the current circumstances have contributed to that. Like the fact that we have been forced to communicate via Zoom or Meet and, and it go, it's gone fine has really opened up or it, it's changed the, um, the guideline that people had, right? But I think the guideline has moved further out, which is really helpful. Uh, and I know the conversations I have now about off offshore teams versus what I had 10 years ago, are, are, they're very different in general, right? So you still have some, some legacy out there of, oh, resources from this particular country do this, they do this all the time. And this, this is the challenge I face in every project. And, and that's not my experience. And it's interesting to speak to people like that. And often when you ask them, can you give a particular, or did you have a particular experience where you saw that? A lot of them can't tell you where they actually experienced that because they, they heard it from someone else, right? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's interesting. So I, th I think people are becoming much more accepting of, of offshore resources. Uh, and they're also realizing that some of the myths just aren't true. Uh, so I, I think that's, that's a, a big evolution. And, and I remember when I was working with Ukraine and Ukraine ha had that whole uproar of you know, Russia stealing part of the country. Uh, I, I, had, uh, I was working with BC Sports at the time and they're like, what's gonna happen here? Like, this is why we didn't wanna go offshore because look at this political challenge, this could really ruin the project. Um, it, there was, it wasn't even a blip. Uh, so for us, we had resources that were in Crimea. Um, we had to stop working with them, but we were able to roll the resources in and the core team wasn't there. So you know, I, I think even the worst of cases, we've seen that it, it hasn't been the disaster that people thought it would be. Um, so, so the other benefit that I've started seeing also is give the agencies or the clients a competitive edge over others. Now, I'm sure you have also seen, you know, since you have been working with Offshore for some time and as your competitors who may or may not be working with Offshore, but you enjoy a bigger profit margin than them. Mm -hmm. now, having said that, do you see as an industry, do you think agencies will start lowering their prices going forward as more and more people have gone global? You think that coming in with the hard question <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, nobody talks about prices. Everybody talks about, yeah. you know, but yeah. What, what do you think? Like where the industry is headed that perspective? So I think prices have to le level off some at least. Right. So 
I, I try and keep my margins still reasonable, right? So they definitely, I'm, I don't want to be in a situation where I'm, I'm charging U.S. resource prices for offshore resources, right? It just doesn't make, doesn't make sense um, because that level of, of margin, it's, it's, it doesn't open up some doors that would potentially open for you. If, if you can come in and say, hey, I'm differentiated because you're going to be able to get super high quality work done and you're going to be able to get more of it done because I can come in with a, with a differentiated model. I, I think that's, that, for me, that's where it needs to be. Uh, I think agencies are going to, big agencies are going to continue to, to push for the highest possible margin they can get. And they may, they may still get it, right? So they, they come to the table with large enterprises that they offer insurance, right? So nobody was fired for hiring IBM. You know, that's, that's there's uh, something to that, right? So if a large agency like Digitas comes in and says, hey, here are the rates. I remember when I worked for Digitas years and years ago, very early in my career, they were charging, I think, $350 an hour from me. And I was 20, 25 years old, right? Uh, and I, I think that there's tolerance there. And it certainly it takes a lot of tolerance to see a 25-year-old walk into your, your boardroom and know that you're paying them $350 an hour. Um, but, you know, it's, there's insurance that comes with that. Uh, and of course, I was spectacular, so it didn't matter. <laughs> uh, but but I think when we look at offshore, that, that companies are going to have to come to a place where, if or customers are going to push from an angle that hey your price your prices are or your overhead is lower, why am I still paying paying rates like this? And and I, I just avoid that altogether because I'm not setting prices at, at an unreasonable level. Yeah, yeah. I I, I wondered because. As so, until now, until before COVID, I think many agencies have been working offshore with or without letting their clients know. So clients would expect the agency the U.S. rates without even knowing that what agency yeah. is paying. But now everybody knows that yeah. you are not getting done stuff done here. So if you are not giving me a lower rate, I may go find some other North American agency because somebody will. Yeah, right? absolutely. So I foresee there has to be a shift in the chain, in the in the pricing moreover as i don't know if you've heard many mncs multinational companies overseas have started buying companies here like digital agencies here right yep. now agencies who were you know pricing at certain level now if they're working under you know bigger companies like tcs wipro you know they are going to you know have to change their prices again yeah they go or for volume. They don't care about you know value pricing. They just want more and more work. Yeah, um, absolutely. So that's what I feel, but you never know. So I agree. I mean, it's hard to say. It's hard to say, and I, I think it's going to depend. The, the agencies are going to take a lot longer. Large agencies are going to take a lot longer, but they may get the pressure that forces yeah. them to. But I, I think we're on a path to more reasonable offshore rates. Yeah. It's easier to find resources too, regardless if you're a large or small agency, even with the, with everybody home, with the rise of, and, you know, and the prevalence of, dare I say it, Fiverr, Upwork, all of these kind of opportunities. And, you know, it's a little bit outside of the scope of what we're talking about, but from a yeah. pricing perspective, you know, even clients that I've worked with are like, we'll just go on Fiverr and get it done. I'm like, do you want to pay 20 bucks or do you want me to go find somebody who's like, a, like worth a hundred dollars you're going to pay? You know, it's an interesting yeah. quality time conversation to be had there. 
Yeah, um, and I see. I definitely see that in like some of the other capabilities that so we offer. Copywriting, we offer creative. Uh, you know, in those areas, you get what you pay for, right? So I, I rarely found a designer who was inexpensive who did high or very inexpensive did high quality work, right? And, and I think from a copywriting perspective, it's the it's the same thing. Uh, and I, even you know, some of the like business analysts, project managers, managers are out there. There's some that'll work for, you know, for. $40 an hour, there's some that'll work for $150 an hour. And generally you see a significant difference. So it depends on the project, but, but I do feel like there, there's very much, you get what you pay for in certain circumstances, especially when you're using a resource like that with onshore resources. Certainly. I wanted to go back, I had made a note. Um, you guys had, were talking about communication positives, you know, and the, 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 shift we've had culturally, you know, in our acceptance of working in a more global capacity, you know, and interesting, and I don't know if you've seen this, you know, cult, the, the culture always comes up a big, how do we make people feel like they're part of the organization? How do we run yeah. things so that we're all on the same page? You're talking about core teams and things along those lines. You know, it's an interesting, I feel like Slack solves a really big, like instant messenger was 20 years ago. Exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. I feel like Slack solves a lot of those challenges and a lot of those hurdles. Like we've eliminated the water. I'm in Boston. So we'll say the water bubbler. I mean, all three of us actually in the Boston area, the water bubbler yeah. Um, yeah. or fountain or whatever you want to call it in your location. But those conversations that happen when you're walking by a kitchen and you're like, oh, hey, so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. I feel like that's the big thing that we're missing. And I think it's a huge opportunity for, you know, adjacent staff, outsourced staff, you know, people who aren't considered core team to be able to participate in the conversations because of tech like Slack. Do yeah. you find that to be, you know, an asset to the way that you guys have worked um, with your, your outsourced folks? Yeah, absolutely. And if I look at one of my largest challenges in, as a manager and, and particularly managing teams, international teams, it's how do you find that common, that commonality, right? How do you, how do you find, we, we, at Blink Reaction, we tried to really create one culture. Well, we realized you can't do that, right? So it's the trying to create one culture is not possible. You, Ukraine, and U.S. are very different places with very different views, and, and but but you can find some commonality, right? That that's what was key to us. So first we're like, oh, we'll make one one culture, or this is the company culture. Well, that doesn't make any sense at all. It, it wasn't going to work. And then we realized, well, there are some commonalities though. We're all we're all driving towards uh, excellence in the work that we're doing. We're all really dedicated to the work. We uh, we all have things we enjoy outside of work, right? So and and that's where for us pre-Slack at that point, we were using Skype and Skype was an integral tool for us. Mm -hmm. And when I interviewed folks, I'd interview project managers, US-based project, project managers with distinct concerns about how, to, how do you integrate with your offshore team? Skype was the answer, right? So that's, that's one of the big things. And, and that's how I got to know a lot of the people on my team that were based in Ukraine was just having face-to-face -face conversations, virtual face-to-face -face conversations yeah. and really understanding them, right? So it wasn't necessarily about creating one common culture, but it was understanding the people, right? So uh, I, I knew that uh, Andre really loved biking and he, you know, he was biking on a daily basis. And you know, we, we just found ways to, to really 
make ourselves human and not not just resources that we're working working together on a, a common goal um, so that, that that was a really important part and skype was integral to it and now slack is far better than what skype was uh, so yeah. it is huge it, it it takes some time i mean ask me like i have been doing this for 20 years right mm. and i've been here in, in the united states for more than 16 years now so i've seen both the worlds and um i think the the only way that i have experience and learn to solve the culture gap is doing little things like, so for me, Slack did not work. The reason it did not work is because what you are writing, you know, what you are typing, what you are sending is not what they are understanding or hearing. Yeah. They understand the language, they understand the meaning of that language, but what goes behind it, what is the intricate meaning about that, that they will not understand unless and until they know about the culture. So I started doing little, little tweaks to the way I interacted with them, you know, just like do a video call, right? Yeah. Seeing them in like doing their background, their where, what type of room settings they are, what type of office settings they are, what is going on in their world, and just talk about other than just work. And that requires a lot of patience and empathy. And, you know, you need to, you need to get into their world like you know as as i think um bill also mentioned right you need to spend more time with them talking about stuff mm. that, that that the water bubbler conversations water cooler, yeah. Water bubbler, yeah. yeah so yeah. that that doesn't happen and that because we are so busy we want everything done right now like yeah. you know we just talk to the point and just get over it that that doesn't solve the problem. I think it goes both ways too. You know, I, we've talked a lot about Vistaprint, but for obvious reasons, you know, when I was there, I, we were helping to set up the call center. Their call center was based in Jamaica. Part of that was flying down to Jamaica, sitting at a desk, yeah. going out to dinner. The best thing was like, okay, guys, where are we going? I yeah. like, I saw parts of Jamaica and going to different clubs and things like that. I'll spare the stories for this particular <laughs> podcast, but it allowed you to like get to know somebody, you know, the video chat wasn't a thing back then. I will not age myself in that, <laughs> but you know, the idea of like, when you get home, it's like, well, tell me about your blah, blah, blah. Oh, I made the recipe that you gave me, or, you know, how's your mom doing? It's like, it's the, the connection, which actually leads me to my, my next question for, for both of you, actually, you know, having an outsourced an offshore team, does it, does it give you a competitive advantage from, you know, a global approach to the problem solving? You know, Bill, we started off our conversation around solutions. Yeah. And so the idea of having, and you had talked about partners and bringing in people with various expertise, but having those, the global approach is what I'll say, since we're talking about Ukraine, we've talked to people who have Latin American folks, you know, Varun's experiences in India. I was talking about Jamaica. It's a full, you know, there's a full gamut of countries that we've referenced, even people within the United States too. You know, does that, do you feel like that adds, this is a loaded question. Do you feel like it adds value to having those global approaches to, to solutions and problem solving there, you know, that makes the work better, the end product better. I'm hoping yeah. you're both going to say yes, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah, and I and I'm seeing it on a a daily basis, right? So I've seen it myself 
for many years, right? Because I could find the best experts wherever. So when we had a Ukrainian team, it wasn't like we had one office in Ukraine. And, and now with the teams that I work with too, it's not one office that they are distributed. So you're getting the, the best people from wherever they may be. And I was talking to a, a person I worked with years ago at Indeca, and he was saying to me that this is the first time that he's actually started to use remote resources. And he's like, it's amazing. I'm finding the best people and the pool of people I can actually choose from are, is so much broader. And, and he's, he's like, I've been looking at Boston, Boston people my whole life and, or my whole career. And he said, there's such competition here. The cost is so high. He said, I, I have people now that are based in the Midwest that are happy to work at a lower rate. It's still an excellent, you know, it's an excellent salary for them. And they have the expertise that I need and it works really well. You know? So that's, I'm, I'm seeing them experiencing something I experienced many years ago and even just from a domestic perspective. It's a, you bring up an interesting point and I'm hesitant to ask a question, but I'm going to do it anyways. You know, the idea of the talent pool opening up, you know, you, we've talked a lot about pricing and let's talk about the price of people in some cases. That sounds really creepy and I don't mean it that way, <laughs> but you know, being in the Boston area or even coastal, you know, California versus here, the cost of living is high. The cost of salaries are high that goes with it. You know, the idea of opening up remotely across the planet allows us to be flexible and hire the right person for the right thing. What do you guys think how that will affect, you know, costs of people, salaries here? You know, it's going to get so much more, I'm assuming it's going to get so much more competitive in a different way you know like the inflation related to salaries has to adjust does it not you know I, I, that's not really a question I guess it's a statement but I guess I'm looking for thoughts for both of you on that am, am I crazy to say that is that what, what do you think no I'm taking uh, a little bit of a left turn yeah. in our conversation <laughs> but I'm getting I, I, I realize I keep jumping in Bruno I don't know if you want to you want to oh, go ahead you, you can answer better from that perspective. We don't have many people here. You have folks here. So you would know what your people are planning to do. What I'm hearing from my friends and families who do work here, that people have started to move out from, you know, city lives, yes. you know, well, that is one trend, you know, everybody's hearing that. I mean, we, you know, so that is definitely, we can, we are seeing that trend, like people do want to, uh, but at the same time, they expect the higher salary and want to work at a lower cost places. I don't know how long will that sustain. Like we are already seeing the backlash at you know California and Facebook and Google, and they started doing that. But um, in the longer run, I definitely see there will be again a shift in it's how. It's got to level out at some point, man. Yeah. Do you, and I, and you see some specialties, right? Like people becoming more and more specialized. And I think that's where you're going to start to see or be able to maintain the premium is having very, being very deep in something very specific. Um, you know, whereas I think being more of a generalist is gonna be, it's gonna be challenging to maintain those same types of salaries in some of the more expensive places. Yeah, it's an interesting, you know, I think all three of us live, you know, in pretty suburban areas. And one of the things that we like to do in this particular area is, is watch what houses go on 
sale. Yeah. You know, so you're watching Realtor, Zillow, whatever those sites are. And it's been really interesting migration the past year. I know this is common across the country. People moving out of the city, they're moving into the burbs. But usually this time of year, like the area that we live in, there's a trillion homes for sale. Like we would spend weekends just going open houses, you know, and stuff like that. There's nothing on the market right now. It's yeah. so crazy to like illustrate your point, Maroon. Like there's nothing. There's maybe a couple yeah. and they'll go like that yeah. you know there's it's it's an interesting little animal all right i'm gonna i'm gonna bring us back <laughs> bring us back from left field let's talk a little bit more about you know agencies and running an agency you know bill you you know with some of your experience and how you got how did you get into this what led you to this point you know working for some cool companies and some you know interesting like what what brought you to to open up your own shop yeah, so uh, I'll start at the very beginning, but then I'll jump forward quickly because it's a funny story at the very beginning. Uh, so when I was in college, I was working for housing services, fixing computers, so running around, driving a van and, and going to different housing areas and fixing there. I think at the time they were 486s. Um, I think we're moving into Pentiums. Um, that's how old I am. Uh, but uh, our boss came into the common room that we sat in at one day and she said, hey, there's this new thing out there, the World Wide Web somebody want to look into it for us and see how we might be able to use it. <laughs> I was like, I'll check it out. <laughs> so yeah, that really was a, that was a career defining hand race. Uh, and from there I had the title of webmaster at one point. Uh, so it was an excellent title um, up at Jackson lab and Bar Harbor name, just amazing place to live. You got to say it right though. Bahaba. <laughs> exactly. Bahaba. Yeah. Down, down East. <laughs> uh, but yeah, from there, I ended up coming back to Massachusetts. I grew up in Massachusetts, but came back to Massachusetts because of the opportunity that was there. It was a dot-com boom. Uh, I was offered twice my salary that I was making in Maine to come back here and, and work for the MathWorks, um, which was a great experience, a really cool team. And I think that's very much the same company it used to be. Uh, and then I get Digitas offered me another, you know, 50% more than I was making. Um, so I moved over there and they told me I was going to be a project manager half the time and a developer half the time, which is what I wanted to do. Uh, and I was never a developer again. Uh, so I was a project manager and uh, I have evolved through project management. But basically, in working with Digitas, we were doing technology implementation and you know, that, that was my start. And then from there, I moved into professional services and ended up working you know, to where I am today in professional services and customer success. Of course, back then professional services was customer success. Um, and you know, now we have true customer success capability with SaaS, SaaS being out there. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was at a lot of companies that people would recognize and, and then those companies grew quickly and, and they were successful. And, and I was a part of that, right? And it was really exciting for me. And even moving from Acquia over to Blink Reaction, we ended up building Blink Reaction from 35 people to 150 people and we sold it and became a company of 450 specialized in Drupal. Um, and that was a lot of fun, right? It was a lot of fun to, to take that ride. Uh, but once I got to the point of that, having integrated all those teams, I stepped back and said, what do I wanna do here? I, I've really, I've enjoyed my career. I've enjoyed the things I've done on a day-to-day -day basis. What is the purpose of my life? Right, exactly, exactly. And that, that was the, the, the step I, I took back. And what I realized was that I, I think I can do this on my own, right? I, I, I've supported so many companies. In doing this, I have a lot of experience. I have lots of connections. I, I, I think I can do this. And, and I really wanted to, right? So I'd, I'd worked for people 
throughout my career, I'd had some pretty senior leadership roles, but I was always working for someone else. And that other person was making decisions that sometimes I wish I could make. And I, and I suspected that the outcomes would be different if I made those decisions. So that's when I decided to, to go with advanced velocity and, and just make it happen. I stumbled at the beginning, like so, so many others do. My first customer was, uh, they ended up hiring me. Uh, and like so many others, once you finish what was intended to be the first project, you sit back and say, what's next? Mm -hmm. uh, and they weren't ready to move on some of the things that would have been next. Um, so I was happy to go back to advanced velocity and, and go from there. Uh, so that, that's kind of the, the path that really, I was looking for that next challenge, right? So I, I had done many, I built services organizations, I built customer success organizations, I'd refined them. Um, and it was time for me to try and build something from scratch and, uh, and, and really apply the experience that I had. What would you say is your biggest challenge that you've had so far leading advanced philosophy or velocity, not philosophy, velocity. <laughs> we got not meta philosophy. earlier. That's where the philosophy is coming from. <laughs> uh, so if I think about my challenges, we talked about one of my challenges, which mm -hmm. is the focus of the company, right? Yeah. So what, what is the focus and, and who, right. who are we? What's the personality? But if I talk about another one, that many people that come at, a, at a, a company from the angle that I came at it from, the challenge that they have is, is really uh, business development, right? Marketing and business development. I, there were other teams that did that, right? I, I didn't deal with that. And even from the solutions that we were building, I wasn't dealing with any of the, the marketing of it. So those things are hard, right? They're, they're hard. There's people that do it that are really specialized. Um, it's Jesse, you, for example, you know, it's that, that is your background. You've done it for many years. Right. Mm -hmm. So for me to try and step in and think that I can do that is it, it's, it, you need help, right. You need help with, with those things. Uh, so I think that that, that's much harder than I anticipated. And I have a big network. I've been lucky to have a lot of organic business come my way. Um, but you know, when it's time, when I realized it was time to start to, to step it up, I realized that there, I had some challenges ahead of me. So scaling is difficult and it takes, it takes branding, it takes marketing, uh, and, and really having good business development. I mean, that speaks to my heart. <laughs> <laughs> so, but did I say it the right way. We prep for this, but did I say it the right way? <laughs> no, you're good. You're, you're good. <laughs> Shh, don't say that. Um, no, but it, you know, in all seriousness, it's, 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 it's an interesting, you know, people get into the world of running a, a company. They're doing it because they're good at the thing that they're doing they're not good at promoting the thing that they're doing so yeah. you know it tends to be a common challenge that we've heard but um how big do you want to become how, how good question. far do you want to go that's yeah that's a good question i really in building my business i i want to make sure that i maintain the level of service the highest level of service for for customers and i also want want it to be reasonable, right? So I've been at so many startups and I've run at 150 miles per hour for, for many, many years, right? And, and it's hard to run my own business and I still run at that speed. But I do want to get to a point where it's more manageable, right? I'm not looking to build a huge organization. Uh, I, I would love to have a smaller to medium-sized organization that is manageable and allows, you know, allows the team to, to do what they want to do on a day-to-day -day basis, allows some, some flexibility and some opportunity to have a, a life outside too. Uh, so it's, it's really indeterminate, but I know that it's important to me to enjoy what I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis, especially if it's mine, right? Like that's, yeah. it's crazy for me to be do some, doing something I don't like when I'm the one that's actually leading it. Certainly. 
Well, this was a great chat. Thanks so much. Any parting last words before I wrap things up here, Bill? No, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk. It's been great to see you. Great to meet you, Varun. Um, yeah. So yeah, I definitely have enjoyed this. So it's good. Well, thanks so much for being here. So I have a list of places where people can find you if they want to connect with you. Where You're on the LinkedIn. You're on the Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> we have your company website, which is advancedvelocity.com, which will be linked in all the places where this gets posted. And then you have uh, your special project, which we didn't talk at all about, but I'll tease it here for you, is superstudyhall.com. So um, do you want to give a little blurb on what that is? And then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap things up. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity on that. Um, so yeah, superstudyhall.com is the company's super study. Uh, we had actually started this just before the pandemic. Um, it looks like it's aligned with the pandemic, but it was just before. Uh, but what we're focused on is a different approach to tutoring. So a uh, segmented tutoring, we call it study halls. Um, so you can actually on four nights a week, be able to go in and, uh, or your child can go in and actually get the support they need. And we only charge for the increment that they use of time. So it could be as small as a 10 minute need. They may only need it Monday and Thursday, but it's available Monday through Thursday. So kind of a different approach and, and really trying to support kids as best we can. Yeah. Where were you guys when I was in high school? <laughs> was the big question, but anyways, well, thanks so much. You know, um, that's it, everyone. If you learned something today, if you laughed or tell someone about the podcast. Thanks so much, Varun. You have a great day. Till next time. Thanks for listening. Find our other episodes on agencies.build.com. Plus, we're listed anywhere you find your favorite podcast.